speak on Psalm 140. Now, I have to tell you that Scott is blessed because he gets to look out every Sunday morning and he sees someone that looks exactly like me. Isn't that right, Scott? My brother. Because my brother attends the Western Hills Church of Christ where Scott preaches. And that's where I heard Scott. And I said, you know, I need to invite Scott to come down and speak at Mac. Some, And so he is here this summer. Um, his wife is here to, tonight. And for some reason, they left the kids with Grandma. I don't understand that. And he'll tell you some more stuff about that. But I'm going to leave it to Scott. Yes. Oh, there we are. Now we're on. Great. Um, Doug's right. Uh, not only does his brother and his family go there, but Doug's parents um, go to Western Hills in Temple, Texas, where I have the pleasure of serving. And they are a delight. They do sit right down front, kind of right in this area where the aisle would be. And so I get to look at them every single Sunday. This past Sunday, after services... I ran to McAllister's Deli that we have there in Temple, and it's the place where my wife and I go eat all the time because you can get a kid's meal for about 99 cents. And with our three kids, God bless McAllister's Deli. (laughs) Well, Doug's family was there, and so I shook their hands and saw they're doing it. I said, well, I'm on my way Wednesday to to be at MacArthur Park. And uh, his father always encouraged me by saying, You keep trying. You just may get this preaching thing down one day. (laughs) So I am I am glad, uh, glad to be here. It worked out very unique for my family. As you heard, my I have three kids. Um, Caden is a 12 year old. And this week he is participating in the Spurs basketball camp. And so, so today he got to have his photo made with a championship trophy. And for that, we're really, really proud. I got a boy and girl set of twins, Cutter and Cooper, and they are doing some things with Grandma today. I didn't want to twist their arm to come here, Dad, talk about Psalm 140. But, um, well, I'm going to dive into this. Let's pray, and then we'll we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this portion of Scripture and ask that you bless our time together and reveal what it would have for us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask if you would to, uh, if you've got a Bible app or you've got a Bible using your iPad, Kindle, whatever, get that open. I'm going to do a little less preaching tonight and a little more teaching. And I want to walk through this Scripture And let me tell you how I came to this. Doug sent me an email asking me if I would consider coming and preaching this summer. And and I enjoyed, I got to be here with you last year. And I was very grateful and what a blessing and what a great church this is. And know a few of you guys on staff. And I'm so grateful for this church and all the work that you're doing. So I jumped on and said, sure. And he said, well, what day would you, you, what Wednesday would you like? And and, uh, August 6th worked out because I knew Caden was going to be down here then at that camp. And my wife, Erica, who's an AP biology teacher, she's going to a conference this week. So my whole family was going to be down here. And I said, give me August 6th. And he, and he sent back and goes, wow, that's Psalm 140, an imprecatory psalm. Now, I know as a preacher, I should have known what that meant. <laughs> but the reaction in the email with, wow, I thought, I better look 
What did I just get myself uh, into? Let me see if this works. Nope, I'm going backwards or forwards. Down, I'm pitching down. Psalm 140, find that. An imprecatory psalm. I'll be honest, I didn't know what this meant. I'm not like a real preacher. I'm a youth minister that they bumped down into preaching. So if you're here tonight and you don't know what this meant, you're in the right room. Okay? I, here's what an imprecatory psalm is. A psalm that invokes judgment, calamity, or curses on one's enemy. A psalm that invokes judgment, calamity, or curses on one enemy, on one's enemy. Well, that's nice. It's a good church room thing to talk about, right? Judgment, calamity, and curses on one's enemy. If I read that, I thought, well, let's see what this psalm is all about. What I'd like to do is I'd like to walk through Psalm 140. And I want to break it down a spot. If you have the, the little blue handout, I've broken it into some portions. And what I'd like to do, and if you're, even if you're not a big note taker, if you would like to follow along, I'm going to give you a word that fits each one of these portions of this psalm. And as I came to this psalm, and I'd read it before, but unfortunately most of us, we glance over psalms, don't we? I mean, I'm thrilled that you guys are going through this whole series, this whole summer, and spending some time with these psalms. Any road, antique roadshow fans in here? Antique? Most of you have lives? Okay. Um, there was a phase when my kids were younger, and I was up late one night, and so I'm flipping the channel trying to take care of one of the kids that wasn't sleeping. And I'm flipping the channel. It's about 2.30 or something in the morning. And the only thing on that's of any interest is Antique Roadshow. And they're doing their highlights. And one of their highlights was showing the highest appraised item. Does everybody know what the Antique Roadshow is? People bring their junk. And they hope, you know, you've thought this. You've looked at something. You're, you thought, is this going to be worth anything? They bring that. And they bring it to some appraisers. And every now and then... They strike it rich. It's something. Well, this is no longer the highest ranked item, but a, a man in uh, about 2001 he brought in a blanket. Okay, it was it was a just a blanket that had stripes on it, and when he brought it to the appraiser, the appraiser's eyes just opened wide, and you could tell there's something about this blanket. And he started asking, "Where'd you get the blanket?" He said, "Well, it's been passed down." And he said, "I think that Kit Carson." has something to do with this blanket. Well, the appraiser's just fallen all over himself. And the appraiser says, what you have is a first-generation Navajo blanket. And he said, we're only aware of a few of these. And he says, your blanket appraises at $500,000. Doug's salary. I mean, you know, right? I mean, it's a lot of money. But you're going to love the next line. This guy that had this blanket, he brought it in in a paper bag. Okay? 
the other two blankets that they're aware of hang in the Smithsonian. Okay. He says, your blanket's worth $500,000. And the guy says, huh, we've had it on the back of the couch. I just had this image, this guy with this blank, this Navajo treasure on the back of the couch with his popcorn, you know. You know, just you know that. And, and let's be honest, for many of us, myself included, that's kind of like the Psalms. We have these great treasures, but it just sort of hangs out in a part of our Bible that I don't go to a whole lot. It's just something like I've kind of thrown there. Now... I may have a refrigerator magnet with it up, something printed on it, or maybe you've got it, you know, cross-stitched into something. But I don't spend the time in the Psalms that reflects the treasure that they are. And so, as I climbed back into Psalm 140, once I got past the, wow, what's an imprecatory Psalm going to be, and what am I going to do with that, to live here for a while... As I reflected this summer, knowing that I was going to speak on this tonight, a lot came out to me, and I want to share that with you. Psalm 140, verse 1 through 5. Rescue me, Lord, from evildoers. Protect me from the violent, who devise evil plans in their hearts and stir up war every day. They make their tongues as sharp as a serpent's. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Keep me safe, Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Protect me from the violent who devise ways to trip my feet. The arrogant have hidden a snare for me. They have spread out the cords of their net and they have set traps for me along my path. Now, I want you to associate a word with each section we go on. Here's the word I want with this one. Well... First, I want, you to, I want you to circle a few things. David only makes a few prayer petitions in this section. Okay? Circle, rescue me or highlight it or underline it and protect me. This is what he's asking God to do. David is, is he's given a prayer and he begins asking God to do something. And the third thing he does is keep me safe. Rescue me. Protect me. Keep me safe. And then he issues the protect me phrase again. And David is petitioning God. And so the word I want you to associate with this part is request. David is making his request. And he it's very descriptive. But his request itself, the actual petition for God is very simple. And he prays this rescue me prayer. Now, I'm assuming if you're here on Wednesday night, most everybody in here is a follower of Jesus. But even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you've prayed a rescue me prayer before, haven't you? You, You've cried out at some moment. And even if you don't believe in Jesus, there's this moment where you looked up and said, I don't know if there's a God up there, but I need help. I need somebody to rescue me. Some of us have prayed that prayer when we failed to study for the test. And we're sitting down at the desk and we're about to take it. Some of you prayed the prayer when the pregnancy test came back positive and now you're scared. Some of you prayed the prayer when the pregnancy test came back negative 
and now you're crushed. Some of you may have prayed that prayer when a spouse that said, I do, now is saying, I'm out of here. And you cry out, God, you've got to rescue me. You've got to keep me safe. Some of you prayed it when your child was sick, when you lost your job. Some of you pray it when the other side, the other political party wins the election. And you pray it if you're a Dallas Cowboy fan. That's what it means to be a Dallas Cowboy fan, is pray that prayer. David only makes these very simple requests. Rescue me and keep me safe. And then he describes the people that are against him. And look at the description he uses. Lord, rescue me from the evil doers. Protect me from the violent. I mean, these are very descriptive words. Who devise evil plans in their hearts, who stir up war in every day. They, they make their tongues as sharp as serpents. Now see, we're so tempted to think what David is praying is, Lord, rescue me from the people that annoy me. You know, the ones that just get under my skin. You know, some of you, some of you are like, they make their tongues as sharp as serpents. You're like, oh, I know that person. Yeah, that's my mother-in-law right there. You know, that's my ex-wife right there. Yeah. What David is praying against is he's praying for the ones that are out to do you in. Not, not just an annoyance, not because the neighbor doesn't mow their lawn the right way, not because the dog that's next door barks a whole lot. But David fights battles where people die. And there is large stakes in this game. And some of you have been there, maybe not in physical danger, but where people are out for you. And it's not just somebody that's annoying, it's hard to get along with. But it's a relationship that perhaps has strained and broken for years or perhaps it's somebody at work that knows you're a believer and they can't stand it. And, they, and they've, they've singled you out now. You're, you're going to receive all of their ridicule, all of their, their poison, all of their, their words and their jokes and their mocking and their ha-ha and let's see if we can get him or her to slip up and utter a curse word. And they're just coming after you, coming after you. And all you've done is be faithful. This is what David's praying for. Lord, the hands of the wicked, protect me from the violent who devise ways to trip my feet. The arrogant have hidden a snare for me. They've spread out cords of their net and have set traps for me all along my path. Psalm 140, verses 6 through 8, says this. I say to the Lord, you are my God. Hear, Lord, my cry for mercy. Sovereign Lord, my strong deliverer. You shield my head in the day of battle. Do not grant the wicked their desires, Lord. Do not let their plans succeed. 
The word I want you to put here, or I want you to circle here, is I say to the Lord, you are my God. David is affirming some things. He's affirming that there is a Lord, and He's powerful, and He's over all this, but the most important thing is you are my God. There's a whole lot of ways that David could have said this. But he's going to talk about a very personal, intimate relationship. And so the word that I want you to put down for that part is relationship. David is giving his testimony. He is testifying to the relationship that he has with God. He gives his testimony and he's reflecting back on things that God has already done for him. Look at the, look at the wording he uses again. My strong deliverer. You shield. God is very active doing something. You shield my head in the day of battle. And think of the battles that David had walked through. From whether he was a shepherd out watching the flock and he testifies that he takes on a bear and a lion to the day that he walked down into the valley and a Philistine champion that thought that day that he was going to fight a battle hand to hand and David gets nowhere near him because God protects him. And at a distance, he lets the rock fly. And all the military battles and all the campaigns and all the opportunity, especially before he became king, that Saul was on his heels, pursuing him and pursuing him and pursuing him. Even to the day that he walked into a cave and didn't know that David was hiding in the cave. God protected him and shielded him. And this is the God that David knows. And so he testifies this. He's in a relationship with God. It's just not any God. It's just not a God. It's my God. Some of you may be fans or, or readers of um, a man named Ray Vanderlyn. He teaches about Jewish tradition. And he did some work with Focus on the Family a few years back. And Anyway, he teaches the Jewish perspective. And one thing that he brought out that I thought was very powerful, and David is affirming it in this thing, is when we talk about God, when you and I talk about God, we tend to go to words like, well, God is love, and God is omnipotent, and God is wise, and God is powerful. And those are all accurate. They're all right on. But what Ray Vanduin says is that when a Jewish person with that mindset and that culture would talk about God, they do exactly what David does here. They don't say, well, he's love and he's wise and he's strong. They say he is my deliverer. He is my shield. He is my rock, my fortress. Well, I found that interesting, but what Ray Vanduin went on to say was, Think about the power behind that, because what you and I tend to say about God, Satan would say about God. Yes, he's wise. Yes, he's powerful. Yes, he's strong. Yes, he's the creator. What Satan would never say about God is, he's my deliverer. He's my shield. And so David is using very intimate things and in the middle of this prayer that is a... Difficult prayer to get our minds around because, again, it's about calamity and judgment. David is saying, you're my deliverer. You're the one 
that I'll put all hope and all trust and all strength into. And what David is challenging us to do here is there's a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. And I'll confess, there's a lot of my life that I grew up knowing about God. I was really good at Bible Bowl. And I got a lot of strokes and pats on the back. And Bible Bowl is a wonderful thing, and I'm not taking anything away from it. But Bible Bowl is not knowing God. And I think our churches are full of people at times that we can get the facts right. And we can spout out the arguments and we can do the chapter and verse thing and we can get all the right doctrine and all the right theology and we can have all the right positions and still not know God. Does that make sense? And so what David does, and I know you've reflected on the life of David this summer, and David's a difficult story, to be honest, isn't it? Because... We recently, in fact, this summer, we used the life of David at a church camp for middle schoolers that, that I'm a part of. And as we put the camp together and we're dealing with middle schoolers and we're trying to put things at that level, which that's like shooting in the dark. Who knows? Um, we're trying to do, we realized that half of the David story is great. And the other half is really awkward. And it doesn't end wonderful. Like we think Bible stories should. And yet this is the one. This is the man. Even though though his, his life was not perfect, far from it. And he would be embarrassing to us if we were on one of our staffs. Is the one that God says, he's the one after my own heart. He's the one. Because David didn't just know the facts. He knew God. And may we have the same heart to learn about God and draw close to Him and have that intimate, personal, daily relationship with God and not just trophies because we've got all the facts right. Psalm 140, verse 9. Now this one gets really interesting. Those who surround me proudly rear their heads. May the mischief of their lips engulf them. May burning coals fall on them. May they be thrown into the fire. I should get like the preacher voice going on this stuff. Into the miry pits never to rise. May slanderers not be established in the land. I love the last verse. May disaster hunt down the violent. Any hunters in the room? I, this this verse is may disaster hunt you down. May fire and coal fall on the enemies of my on the the head of my enemies. And I want to say now this is a prayer I can pray. I'm on board with this one all of a sudden. I mean this is God. You know they're wrong. You know what they've done to me. Unleash it. Bring it on. Bring the 10,000 angels. Bring them with Uzis. We want, we're ready for it. So here's the word. This part's about revenge. I mean, I mean this, this is a psalm praying, God, give them. 
what they deserve. I connect with this part of the psalm, to be honest with you. In fact, emotionally, I connect with this part of the psalm the fastest and the quickest as to the rest of it. My son just completed the sixth grade. And as Caden, my son, went to the sixth grade, of course, it brought up all kinds of memories about my sixth grade. I didn't enjoy sixth grade. There was a guy in sixth grade, I'll call him Mike, not his name. But even then, we've done a lot with the word now, but he'd be a bully. Mike made my life miserable in the sixth grade. Both pushed me around physically, started rumors about me that I hated, and just saw to it that he knew that I didn't measure up in his eyes. And he seemed popular, and he seemed like the athlete, and he seemed like he could do it all. And I hated I remember going home at times not wanting to go back to the sixth grade. Well, you think, you think you leave that when you move on in life. Well, this thing called Facebook came along. Anybody heard of Facebook? It's out there. It's... Well, when it first came along, what a bunch of folks did, especially those of us that were already out of high school and on and past college, we all got and started looking for people that we knew, right? Well, one night I started thinking about Mike, and I got on there to see what Mike's life was like. And th- yeah, this is Facebook stalking, I, I admit. <laughs> Do you know what I was secretly hoping to find? That his life had been miserable. I mean, I, I was hoping that if once I found his profile, that he hadn't accomplished anything, and then I'd hope he'd gone through some relationships and he was miserable. Why? Why is that in me? Why is that in me when I'm one that gets up and preaches, that was loud, preaches love and forgiveness every single Sunday, but there was still something in me, there was still a yucky part in me that remembered all the way back to sixth grade and hadn't forgot it yet, and I was willing to pray the prayer, made the coals rain down on his head. Give him what he deserves, God. That's what David's asking for here. And I think the reason that I connect so quickly with David here is because that part's in me and perhaps that part's in you. And I'm really suspicious that I think it's in all of us. Because ever since the fall, we've gotten really good at blaming and accusing and cursing each other. I came across this story. This idea of revenge. There was a guy named Merrick. He was 45 years old, still single. And he had been dating a dentist. And he dumps the dentist, apparently, real suddenly. Now, Merrick's not what you'd call a real bright guy because he was still scheduled for a dental appointment. With his ex. So his dentist, her name's Anna, he goes in, and this is a week or so after the dumping. 
She dopes him up, knocks him out. He's there for a teeth cleaning. And she says, I tried to be professional and detach myself from my emotions. But when I saw him lying there, I thought, what a jerk. That's not the word she used, but this is church. Anna pulled 32 teeth out of Merrick. She wraps him up so that he won't know this until he gets home. When I got home, I looked in the mirror and I couldn't believe it. She emptied my mouth. Merrick's new girlfriend dumped him because, well, she could date a man without any teeth. What drives that? It's revenge. Now, on that story, we're shocked at it. But part of us goes, he got what he deserved. You dummy. You know, if you dump her, you don't go back. You got what you deserved. And we secretly rejoice at those stories because we think that's justice. Right? Well, if this psalm ended right here, this would be our, our psalm, wouldn't it? I mean, this would be one we could all, I mean, let's put this on the t-shirt and let's go forward, you know. You know, preacher, give us that one again, you know, because I got a lot of people, you know, I got a lot of sharp, sharp, serpent-tongued people out there in my life. But David doesn't end there. 12 through 13. Right after saying, Lord, I'm praying for this on my enemies, he says this, I know that the Lord secures justice for the poor and upholds the cause of the needy. Surely the righteous will praise your name and the upright will live in your presence. Now, you cannot have Psalm 140 without the last two verses in it. Because that makes the psalm. All this other psalm is, Lord, I know you're on my side. Lord, there's evil men after me. Rescue me. Protect me. Rain coals of fire down on them. Lord, that's what I want. But it's these last two verses that this whole psalm turns on. The whole psalm comes to its point on. And he's praying this prayer and he is now at the big amen. And the part, well, God, I'm going to turn it back over to you now. I've done the talking. Now I'm going to do the listening. And what he says in this, he says, I know that the Lord secures justice. What David is saying is, everything in me wants revenge. But I'm going to wait on you, Lord. Everything in me wants, wants to lash out. But I'm going to let you do that, God. I, I'm going to trust, Lord, that you are a God of justice. And I'm going to let justice be yours. I'm going to let revenge be yours. I'm not going to go in motion, even though I'm the king, and leverage what I have against my enemies. And so David takes this position that says, God, I know you're a deliverer, and you're my shield, and you're strong, and you're a just God. 
And I'm going to trust in that, that justice matters to you so that the ones that have come against me will see justice at some point. That's why look, look what he testifies. The Lord secures justice. He upholds the cause of the needy. Surely the righteous will praise your name and the upright will live in your presence. See, it's hard to think of a God... Well, I mean, we get really difficult here because we're so, it's so easy to think of a God that all God does is He winks and nudges at sin, right? That, that He just sort of, well, we're going to kind of look over there. Because we think as Christians, that's all we can do. That, that That's all we can do is just, we just kind of got to turn the other cheek and look the other way. And you know it's bad, and you know there's sin there, but, you know, we're supposed to forgive. Yes, we're supposed to forgive, but God is a God of justice. And if there's not ultimately justice, then forgiveness doesn't have any place. I read an article recently, and this will help us understand it, about the ongoing conflict in the Serbian war and this, this thing that just keeps going and going and going. And it goes from one generation to the next to the next. And one of the theologians was reflecting on how do you break this cycle? And Western theologians from America were going, going, well, it's all about love and forgiveness. He says, that's not enough. He said, you've got to believe in a God that has justice as one of his innate core qualities. Because only when you believe in a God that brings justice... Can you then release your need to seek justice? Do you understand what they're doing there? If we think God just winks and nudges at sin and injustice in the world, then the only option we have for real true justice is that we have to take it on ourselves. But what this theologian was calling for in the midst of this generation-long conflict was we believe in a God that is just. And because he's just, sin will be answered for. Now, we don't know how and when and he's going to do all that. But we know he is. And so therefore, we don't have to act. We then have the power to forgive. Because we trust that God will handle the rest. That's what David does in the last couple of lines of Psalm 140. God, here's my enemies. Here's what I want done to them. I want it to be brought down on them. But I'm going to trust that you're going to. And David lived as one after God's own heart. As I did this, I thought of Romans 8:28. If you want to write that down, Romans 8.28, you've probably heard this verse the other time. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who've been called according to His purpose. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him. This is one of those verses that unfortunately we use it at all the wrong times, don't we? And when something bad has occurred, we go, well, don't worry. God works for good in all things. One of the foundational truths of this is that as a Christian, 
Christians who believe this verse, who follow Jesus faithfully, the truth of this verse is that as a Christian, you will experience all things. I've done enough funerals to know that even when we pray hard as a church, daily, people still die. So the promise of God is not that bad things will never happen to you because you follow Jesus. The promise of God is He will never leave you. That's what Psalm 23 is about. You know, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thy rod and thy staff comfort me. It doesn't say I'll never walk through the valley of the shadow of death, does it? It says when I do, you're there. This is what David's saying. When all the world is against me, and the world will see evil done to me, I'm going to cry out to God, and God, I want it to stop. I mean, he's pretty clear, but I know you're there. You are my deliverer. You are my hope. You are my shield. You are my rock. You are my fortress. In all things, God is there. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I am so grateful for you letting us see the prayer journal of one who followed you so many centuries ago. Father, I pray for anyone in this room right now that can name their enemies And maybe they're at work, maybe they're on a sports team, maybe they're in their family. I don't know, Father, but I pray. Those that feel that those are coming against them, I pray that you would be faithful to Psalm 140. And you would be our deliverer and you'd be our shield. And we would also be ones that testify that you are with us and you will secure justice. Father, help us to lean on that. And help us to be so grateful for one that could have avoided the cross, but so that he would experience all things. Took our place. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you all.